0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger.
1: This is Dan Abuha. Well,
0: Tamson and Dan, read the paper. It's Sunday, March twenty first, two thousand twenty one. Oh. how do you like that? Twenty one twenty one. Really?
1: Yes, that's something.
0: And uh, so uh, we're all reeling with delight with the weather. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Sunshine is out. Yeah. Snow mounds are almost gone. Almost. I mean, we we've had days of sixties and seventies. And there's still snow little around. piles of snow. Well, right. We had some winter. Yeah. Okay. So birthday-wise, yeah. my mother reminded me today yeah. that uh, yesterday would have been uh, my grandmother's, my father's mother's 132nd birthday.
1: Mm, that would have been awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, in any event, let's call that the anniversary of her birth. Yeah. 132.
0: And so happy birthday, birthday. Uh, Sarah Church Granger, mm-hmm. also known as Sadie. Yeah. And uh, so, what else is going on? Big week for us. First of all, before we get to the the happy stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: A little bit poignant. One of our all-time favorite restaurants, Diana's, closed mm-hmm. this week. Yes. And uh, it's been around over thirty years. Yeah. In Lambertville, New Jersey, and I
1: would say of twenty of those years, we would go every Friday night, every single Friday. Not night. quite twenty years every years, Friday night, but 15, uh, years. fifteen years.
0: For a while, we were going every Friday. It was a, a we've talked about it before. It was a different kind of restaurant for yes. the area. It was elegant.
1: Live uh, music, live music. It was dark.
0: Deal. It was in a grown-up restaurant. Yes,
1: it was very. Uh, Elegant. And uh and of course Armand, the famous bartender. And uh We ate at the bar party. because
0: yeah. of our devotion to Armand Evers. The
1: famous U shaped bar.
0: Uh U shaped I think most bars. No, many no. bars are U shaped.
1: Not as many as you think. But in any event, uh that was our Friday night. We always enjoyed it. And it was the end of the work week and believe me, that was something to celebrate. Uh and uh it marked the beginning of our weekend in Pennsylvania. So it's uh you know
0: a sad goodbye. Right.
1: Then, I mean, it's
0: it's not it's not yeah. COVID related or anything. It's Look, the restaurant uh,
1: had run its course. Armand had already departed, and, and uh, Diana you know,
0: was uh, ready to retire yeah. and thinking about uh, a spot in on Block Island, possibly. Right. So uh, it was so, uh, no we, surprise. We will miss it. It yeah. was. Uh, but life moves on.
1: But you can't yeah. always. We always said to ourselves, and we hope, this won't last forever.
0: And we hope there's a new, exciting, yes, owner. Uh, and restaurant turning up there uh, so that is that yeah. uh, but the big news is we got our first shots mm-hmm. our
1: first um covid shots
0: covid shots
1: wednesday uh wednesday St. Patrick's Day to
0: celebrate saint patrick's day yes at the
1: mall at the neshaminy mall
0: yes i mean being uh from jersey we love a mall. yeah and uh so that's where we got our our shots Not really. Uh, Bucks County um, contacted us and told us uh, that was the only place available. Well,
1: it was was odd because uh, that day happened to be available. That afternoon, it was two days after we received the email. Uh, The other location's not available. And I don't know whether people didn't want to go to get their shots on St. Patrick's Day because they were afraid all the Irish doctors wouldn't be there, but uh, we were willing to take a chance. No,
0: all the locations they offered us. They offered us four locations of the others were all booked. That's true. So I don't, I don't really know.
1: But in any event, the point is that it was seamless.
0: It was seamless. It went very quickly. Yeah. Uh, unlike the signing up process. Right. Uh, you but, said to be uh, patient, but right.
1: uh, it was very seamless. So. And, and uh, we're looking forward to the second We're optimistic.
0: Shot. We're on the way um, to
1: uh, recovery. Immunity is the word you're looking for, but yes. Well,
0: immunity for us, but recovery in terms of society and the community. Right. Yeah, if we're
1: getting the shot, everybody, life, everybody will be getting the shot gonna, soon. Because yes. that's the way that was playing out. Um,
0: so, um, but meanwhile, unbeknownst to us, yeah, while we were there
1: yeah.
0: at the mall, um, salvation was taking place.
1: I don't know what you're talking about, but fine.
0: Uh, turns out. Yeah. Uh, the mall was built in the sixties, mm-hmm. and originally one of the anchors was Strawbridge and Clothiers. I remember them, yeah. And outside, uh, you know, in the mall but outside the store, uh, were were a series of seven dioramas, historical dioramas, okay, featuring William Penn's treaty with the Indians, um, the signing of the Declaration of Independence uh moving around the Liberty Bell mm-hmm. you know various scenes from American colonial history mm-hmm. and uh they have been there from the beginning. they were originally apparently had sound ha- and can mo- could move. Oh, move really? you'd push a button and the figures would be active
1: these are these are black and white figures or are these no are no color? no
0: these are full color three oh, really? d figures really okay and uh You know, they're in boxes about eight by eight. Okay. Eight feet by eight feet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they've been there all these years. Mm -hmm. They're kind of a, you know, a great just piece of public art Mm -hmm. in the mall. And uh, the store inside changed many times. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was most recently a Macy's and Macy's closed that store uh, in 2017. And the mall itself is um, winding down. Um, so these uh, dioramas were at risk, and the Ben Salem Historic Society managed to save them. Okay, okay? they they were being removed
1: mm-hmm.
0: on St. Patrick's Day while we were there at the mall. Not an easy thing to do. They each each of those eight by eight boxes weigh about three hundred pounds or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. and of course they're art. They they don't want to. Uh, you don't want to break them. So uh, they will be, you know, stored at a safe location, and uh, hopefully the signing of the Declaration of the Independence will be at um, Ben Salem's historic society, and the others uh, they're hoping will be taken on by, you know, other um other institutions yeah. not other malls uh, but uh, so that's kind of fun i mean it's interesting you know i'm a, a big fan of public art right. i mean art should be out in the world mm-hmm. and so we see it in these uh, grand parks uh, Etc. In the cities, so uh, you know, I didn't even know they were there because I, I haven't been. To, I've only been to Nishamni Mall about twice, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't get to see them. But uh, nice to know that uh, art and stories are being told even in the mall. Yeah. Speaking of mm-hmm. art being removed from public view, mm-hmm. there was an article in the New York Times. About uh, a bunch of horses, actually, at um, on the Upper West Side at a housing development, the Wise Towers, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and there's a plaza and kind of a, a playground outside um, this housing complex. And uh, there were originally... Uh, It was built in the 60s, 1964. There were originally 18, you know, uh, concrete horses Mm -hmm. uh, by an artist, Constantino Nivola, um, in, you know, in the plaza area. And they are gone. They apparently were removed uh, by the housing authority in order to do work on the water main. Now, this makes you nervous, because by looking at the after pictures, it's not clear these sculptures, and they're kind of abstracted, you know, very mid-century looking uh, depictions of horses, Mm. Uh, it's not clear that they were removed with any kind of care Mm. and discrimination in terms of their uh, sort of artistic value Mm -hmm. so everybody's nervous where are they Mm -hmm. are they okay are they coming back Mm -hmm. this was part of a plaza designed by this uh, artist who was originally from sardinia and uh long story short came to uh, new york city um actually uh escaping the world war ii and did a lot of public work in new york city and uh um Part of this plaza, there was also a kind of sculptural wall with abstract designs in it, also uh, designed by him, and several diamond shaped water features, you know, kind of like fountains that no one is sure if they ever worked or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, the horses were. Kind of fantastic. They're in this big sort of circle. Children could sit on them. Allegedly, the artist had his daughter uh, occasionally, you know, sit on them and try them out, uh, and um, uh, so that you know, with the idea that they were not just, you know, they they were there to be played with right. and enjoyed. They originally multicolored. They had there was uh, sand, colored uh, marble dust, actually mixed into. Uh, the cement to uh, red, yellow, and blue to create some yes. color. They had longer noses, which during the '80s were apparently broken off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a note, uh, something about the legs used to be longer too. I don't really know how right. that's possible. But but the,
1: but, the, but we don't know where they are right now. basically.
0: We don't know where they are. We're a little bit nervous, and but enough uh, stink has been raised. It's it's an article in the New York Times. Unless they've been smashed to smithereens and destroyed. Yeah.
1: They'll be returned.
0: They'll be returned. Okay. So, but here's an interesting, here's a fun fact uh, that uh, goes with this. So, of course, you know, I'm looking at, you know, doing a little bit of uh, Googling Mm -hmm. about Nivola. And uh, turns out he has a son, he has a grandson, Alessandro Nivola, Mm -hmm. who's an actor. Okay. Okay. So he looked vaguely familiar, and uh, turns out we've seen him in several things. Oh, is that right? Okay, he was in—he was Mister Dean in uh, the Black Narcissus production by the BBC that we saw the first. Ah, okay. We saw the first uh, episode of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, and also he was actually in Winslow Boy. The film? No, uh, in the theater.
1: That we saw. Yeah, we saw the production. Yeah. Okay, that's a tough. Uh, uh, around, back a few roundabout, I think. Yeah, I know. Here's but what part yeah. did he play? He wasn't the Winslow boy.
0: No, he wasn't the Winslow boy. He was Sir Somebody. Okay. Um, I didn't write it down, but anyway, um, you know. So
1: we're we're connected. All right. Well, look, I don't know if this is a story or not. I mean, I guess if the horse sculptures are never recovered, it's a story. If I think just, it's
0: a story. I, I if think just you know. Put them
1: back in two days. It's a non-story. But
0: yeah, uh, you can't uh, you can't be too careful with public art. Okay. Okay. And uh, the idea that, first of all, it's a housing complex and it's had terrible problems Mm -hmm. in terms of plumbing and heating and so on and so forth. Okay. So it's about gosh darn time that somebody's trying to fix something. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to have respect For the building, for the location, you know, for these, I mean, this was, this is the entrance, this is the playground for these people's children. I'm arguing with you you in the abstract. I just don't know this art. If it was down, if it was down next to the United Nations building, uh, then everybody would go, oh, yeah, we must preserve these and save these. And, you know, preservation will be called in. But nobody is taking care because uh, it's a housing authority building. All right. So Look, um, not, I
1: would not overreact a, until you see well, what happens.
0: There's art everywhere. You need to take care all of right. it. All right. Um, and take a uh, deep breath.
1: I think we'll be all right. Uh, but we'll stay on the story. You have to stay on the story, here. You'll tell us what happens. Uh, You're cute. Yeah, if they but come. It's more
0: than that. They belong to All right. that they community. might be fine.
1: They might be fine. You're okay. overreacting so to this. Don't get out
0: there with your sledgehammers and start.
1: No one, there's no story of sledgehammers. You've got nothing to base that
0: on. I would not be surprised.
1: <laughs> okay. So the big news is that the NCAA basketball tournament's going on. And uh, I know that you agree with me on that. And I do, but my somebody. mother
0: does not. She is not watching.
1: Yeah, it. well, she's not in the demographic. Uh, I watch Signs a lot of, the, of
0: the Apocalypse.
1: Not exactly. She's uh,
0: watching tennis. Uh, okay,
1: can we speak with the basketball? It's a little tournament? upsetting. I don't want to, uh, you know. Much as I'm interested in what your mother is watching, let's talk about NCAA. So uh, Granger, and I watch a lot of it, and I've been staying up late. I was up until uh, the wee hours last night. You can't uh, help it. These games, there's game after game after game. And look, uh, bottom line is, uh, it's fascinating. The NCAA tournament is always fascinating. But
0: why is it fascinating? Is it fascinating just because you have your brackets? No,
1: no. I'm, my bracket's already blown. As because a, you
0: generally, you don't watch that much college basketball. No,
1: but but I do watch the tournament. And, the, and, uh, and it's more interesting, frankly, than the NBA. And the reason is that uh, these kids play... Uh, Extremely intensely. I mean, it is a different kind of event from the, from the mo- first whistle. They're going 180 miles an hour. Uh, and they realize that they're on national television and there are young people who aren't used to that kind of exposure and they're giving maximum effort and it makes for a very exciting basketball game. And some of them are quite skilled and some of them aren't. Um, but it's interesting to see the contrast and watch some youngsters rise to the occasion and others uh, not be able to do quite that. Uh, and as a result of the fact that they are young people, and young people do not have the same levels of consistency as more seasoned professionals, you get a lot of upsets. You get a lot of results that you could never have expected. And there were two games in particular which tell you a lot about the tournament. Um, one was, um, well, here's what's interesting about the two games. Uh, one was a game we were just watching Loyola Chicago against Illinois. Illinois was a one seed, a one seed. That's to I me mean, They were expected to, to likely win the tournament or be in the final four at the very least. Playing Loyola Chicago was an eight seed. And uh, someone didn't tell Loyola Chicago they were an eight seed. So that game was competitive all the way. Uh, and Loyola Chicago beat them easily, beat them by 13 points. Mm-hmm. And you're watching the game. You're saying, gee, this guy in Illinois is supposed to be an All-American. This fellow was an All-Big Ten. What's going on? Well, there are there's a lot of potential explanations for it. One is that the Big Ten is generally overrated in these tournaments, and Illinois is in the Big Ten, um, and uh, uh, there a lot of it's psychological, I suppose. I mean, the other game was uh, between Abilene Christian and Texas, and that was the game I watched last night. Texas, a three, Abilene Christian, a fourteen. In both these, in Abilene Christian, wins. Uh, by a point in a very dramatic fashion. Texas is a far superior team uh, by all accounts, by all the numbers. And uh, Abilene Christian in uh, ahead most of the game. But Texas, you know, class will show. When a guy makes a great three-pointer with eight seconds to go, Texas up by one. Abilene Christian comes down. They uh, miss their shot, as they generally do. They get a rebound, put it up, called foul. Two, point, two seconds left. They have a guy on the line, down by one. Terrible foul shooter, 50% foul shooter. Makes the first shot to tie, makes the second to win, they win the game. And and it's it's crazy. It's crazy for for a couple of reasons. Um, One is because they're so low-seeded in Texas, so high-seeded. But the other is in both these cases, these are two schools from the same state. So Abilene Christian, uh, Christian is in Texas, and obviously so is Texas. Loyola Chicago is in Illinois, and so is Illinois. So that tells you that each of these players in the lesser teams would have given their right arm, figuratively, to go to the other school. They're only on Abilene Christian because Texas didn't want them. There's not a single guy in Abilene Christian who Texas thought could play for them. Same as Chicago and Illinois. And yet they're winning the game. I mean, it, So it, it is fascinating. And um, I think what, what goes on is, frankly, when one of these under, underdog teams gets a lead, the uh, the team that's the favorite uh, presses, but presses in a specific way. And this, I think, is a little bit of a failure of coaching, but at least some coaching. What happens is they play harder. They say mm-hmm. we fall behind, we should play harder. And mm-hmm. that's not right. Because mm-hmm. when you play harder, you're you're basically going at 110 miles an hour, you can't control it, and you press and you're putting more pressure on yourself. What the coach has to tell you in that circumstance is not to play harder, but to concentrate and relax.
0: Play smarter.
1: Play smarter, but by concentrating and relaxing. And the hardest thing to do on that stage for These kids is to relax. relax. Uh, the coaches that can have their players relax are the coaches who are going to be successful. Uh, they didn't have it at Texas and Illinois. So, anyway, it's, may, it's may I just say, yeah.
0: you left out Sister Jean.
1: Sister Jean, I'm not interested in, but you might be interested well. in that story. I mean, the poor woman sitting there, she's 100 years old, and the, uh, the, the basketball commentators keep telling us what Sister Jean is thinking. Which is, to me, a little patronizing, honestly, well, we have no idea had, what Sister Jean is uh, They thinking. had her on
0: uh, yeah. their side, and they, once again. well, Sister
1: Jean's just so everybody knows she's she's associated with Loyola Chicago. What I did not
0: She's the team chaplain.
1: Yes, uh, what I had forgotten about Loyola Chicago is that they were in the final four uh, in 2018. Which shows you how bad my memory is about these things. So they're no joke.
0: Well, that's when we met Sister Jean.
1: I don't remember Swift Jean. Swift 13 doesn't register for me. Doesn't mean anything all to right. me.
0: All right, I okay. got it. You know, Walsh well, was there in
1: 2018, the Central helped them win the game, so uh, they have that going for them. So all it's right. exciting. It's no, great.
0: No romance for you. No,
1: I'm no. all basketball. No romance.
0: Okay, you don't have to <laughs> say that twice. <laughs>
1: Not to you. No one knows better than you.
0: Yes. All right. Okay. So um, speaking of public art. Man responsible for a great deal of public art in America and elsewhere uh, was uh, Alexander Calder. Yeah, who is having a major show in at uh, MoMA. Yeah, that's just opening, and I think this is uh, you know this is the first show uh, that at the MoMA first big uh, show at the MoMA of Calder's work since 1969. Uh, which is just interesting because Calder, you know, kind of a major figure and uh, has always been key yeah. to uh, MoMA's uh, exhibitions and uh, success in f- formulating mm. a sense of uh, modern art, uh, especially, you know, and American modern art uh, when it was in its infancy. Mm. Uh, MoMA uh, actually was um, started, uh, it opened. Uh, during the dark days of the nineteen twenty nine. Okay. Um and uh Calder's first show there is in like nineteen thirty. Uh-huh. So he was there from the beginning. Alexander Calder, you know his works, right? The Mobiles. The Mobiles. And yeah, right. but he also did large standing uh structures. Okay. Uh, one that uh is very, you know, famously in uh, That was me the, shrugging, uh, but yes. <laughs> i mean these, i'm showing i'm showing dan the picture i understand the style you, you, you know, i understand the style i don't recognize you're familiar with the, no, no. these works yes alexander calder yeah uh, quite a wonderful uh art pedigree yeah his dad was alexander sterling calder uh who was a sculptor um many works all over the place uh, a l- lot of public uh, yeah. art the my favorite is the grand the grandfather um alexander mill Milne calder who came from scotland mm-hmm. and uh, he actually sculpted the william penn that's on top of uh, philadelphia oh, city really? hall that yes. i know but he also i love him because uh, he did uh, work at um, Laurel Hill Cemetery, one of my famous yeah, early okay. cemeteries. No, that me. And uh, in fact, uh, the father also has um, some work, um, some uh, uh, memorial right. work there at the cemetery. Uh, so they're based in Philadelphia. Same cemetery. So, yeah, yeah, really a Philadelphia right. um, sculpture family. They uh, Alexander Sterling moved out, moved his family, including Alexander the boy, uh, out to Arizona at a certain point due to health. Right. Uh, but Alexander Calder got an engineering degree at Stevens Institute. All right. You know, uh, you're familiar with Stevens Institute yeah. in New Jersey, right there, um, across from New York. Um, and, and then uh, he does shift and, you know, go into the family business, into art. And uh, he really, um, he studies in New York. It's at, in Paris where he has a great awakening. And uh, shifts into um, sort of a modern modernist mode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, he has lots of fun things. Uh, there's a sense of uh, just, there's a lot of engineering to all his works. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, one of his, uh, one of the works of his that really wowed the people in Paris uh, in uh, the twenties and thirties uh, was um, his Cirque Calder, which was a circus. He made these little wire figures. He made a whole circus yeah, actually, yeah. out of these, and it actually moved and worked. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you can see there's a YouTube video. No, I, actually, uh, I like bears and things like it. that, yeah. and they're very fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, then he, you know, moves on to more massive. Uh, projects as well. When he, you know, at MoMA, he not only they showed him not only with the, the more abstract cubist uh, artists, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, they also showed him with surrealists, mm-hmm. uh, Dada, more you know, uh, ethereal uh, stuff. So it, interesting, interesting guy, and um, it looks like a fantastic show. I'm dying to go to it. So I think uh, we haven't been to New York in a long long time but this may um, force so us it's into
1: It's open until May 1?
0: It's actually open through August oh. or to the beginning of
1: August. All right so, so no we rush. have some time yeah.
0: you you need to get a timed ticket you know yeah. you, you need you go there at a specific time right. and, and you know in, soon we will have had our second shot so we can begin to do things like that. Right. So that will be fun. Now, I should mention one other thing. There was a uh, an interesting article in the New York Times about putting this show together and how MoMA staff actually built kind of mock-ups right. of some of the sculptures so they could figure out how to transport these pieces right. and how they could set them in position mm-hmm. and really stage the show and, and make it work they had they you know uh, cut out these plywood uh, you know pieces and put them together they wanted them to represent the works but not to copy the works um, not quite sure yeah
1: they wanted to see if it would fit in the elevator basically
0: right and, and they wanted to be able to learn how to carry them around right. yeah. without breaking them because some of them are you know Delicate and fragile. And they found out in the process of doing this yeah. that uh, the mobiles are quite, uh, are balanced in very sophisticated and, you know, um, amazing ways and not as uh, simple as they seem to
1: the eye. Kind of
0: simplex, if you will. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we have to logist. Um Alexander Calder. I assume we'll, it won't be hard that hard to get a ticket, things being the way they are. So there was an article uh, called The Juror Number Four Kept It All to Himself Except on His Podcast. There's a fellow named Jake Letizia, who is a juror in a trial, a, in a uh, criminal trial in New York. And uh, he was picked sort of, uh, unfortunately, from his perspective, and I can identify with that, to serve on the jury, uh, which it turned out to be for a three-week trial, which he thought was a substantial investment of time he wasn't looking forward to. Uh, And uh, like all jurors, uh, he was counseled by the judge uh, that he should not talk about the case uh, to anybody uh, while the case was ongoing. Uh, The issue arose because, an issue arose, because he has a podcast. And we know about people with podcasts. And uh, his podcast is by himself, an aspiring comedian. And he took the occasion on his podcast, which he continued to record while the trial was going on, to comment on the proceedings.
0: Isn't that a no-no?
1: Yes and no. Uh, The um, accused was convicted by the jury. And it came to light afterwards that, in fact, this podcast existed. So naturally, the lawyer for the accused, who was convicted, looking ma- for a made mistrial. A mo- yes, made a motion to the judge to have a mistrial, as you put it. And he said uh, this juror did not uh, follow the, the court's instructions about uh, not commenting to anyone on the case. Well, by total coincidence, the judge in this is Judge John Kotal, who's a person that we know pretty well. Perhaps I know a little better than you because of the law firm. Just perhaps. Just perhaps. Uh and uh, it was up to to Judge Caudle to decide whether, in fact, that there should be a mistrial because of what this fellow did. And he, he listened to the podcast, and what the podcast said. Um, well, there were a lot of comments in the podcast about the proceedings, but they were about the people involved, the lawyers, the uh, court administrators, the judge, the personalities, the personalities. Uh, there was a lot of complaining about the fact that he stuck on the jury. There's a lot of complaining about the boredom involved in the entire process and how the system is awful and blah, 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 blah. But there was nothing about the particulars of the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result of that, what Judge Kodal, uh determined was that, in fact, there would not be a mistrial. Uh, <laughs> and what he said in his decision was uh, the, the complaints, it wasn't really about the evidence. The podcast was about his complaints of boredom, uh, which the judge dismissed as hyperbolic exaggerations, although I guess that's a matter of opinion. Uh, but that, by his own observations, Judge Cuttle felt that this juror was particularly attentive during the courtroom proceedings, so he wasn't concerned about the fellow turning the proceeding off. And in order to get a little dig, I believe, uh, he said another reason not to worry about the podcast is that it has so few listeners, <laughs> 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 which I think was uh, a dig at Mister Letizia. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, though, that um, folks who aren't supposed to keep their mouth shut about things might still uh, talk about it on podcast.
0: Well, that's but it's also funny that you has so few listeners, and yet somehow. Somebody found out.
1: Well, there's a long story about how they found out. But uh, in any event, uh, yeah. I mean, look, once you're out in the ether, you're out in the ether. So who knows? So uh, the ether. (laughs) A new thing thing to be concerned about.
0: Well, this is an interesting story. Yeah. It was in the Thursday style section of the New York Times this past week. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's um, titled, A Man Who Lived for Fragrance. Mm -hmm. Uh, By day... Carlos Powell sold shoes. But late into the night, he vlogged about his deepest passion, perfume. And uh, it's a story of a man who just, uh, he passed away. Um, uh, he, you know, he, not that old. I think it is uh, maybe not even 60. And um, he, um, if anything, hard, hard to describe him. He, he, Mr. Powell... Was the ur New Yorker living paycheck to paycheck, doing what he loved in his off hours? Okay, With, he uh, he he had a uh, YouTube yeah. channel, and uh, and we learned that and vlog he would is, do is, and he and do, he would vlog about you know do reviews right. of uh, perfumes, fragrances.
1: Just so we're clear, if everyone's clear, so blogs are video blogs, basically, right? Yeah.
0: Uh, videos. He would do videos about fragrances. He loved fragrances. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the idea he's is,
1: is a shoe person by day and uh, a perfume expert uh, by night.
0: Okay. He um, he was would dissect the scents. You know, give reviews. Have guests who were famous noses, so to speak, career chemists, or maybe even just uh, you know friends and family. Mm-hmm. You know, colleagues from the shoe department. Yeah. Uh,
1: kind of thing, yeah. and
0: they weren't, you know, weren't the most high tech uh, um, videos. Well, it's got to be a have...
1: It's a two page okay. article in the New York
0: Times. It's two full pages, right? Well, the name of it is Brooklyn Fragrance Lover. Right. He had a following of sixty nine thousand scr- subscribers. Right. Okay. Nothing compared to his great rival jeremy fragrance who had like 1.4 million subscribers Uh, but anyway the story is it's just a great story it tells uh, about him about how um he uh, about his trip to uh the 2018 fragrance foundation awards ceremony where he's hoping to get the consumer choice award yeah. loses out to Jeremy fragrance is devastated by the end of the night uh, recovers enough to uh, say to you know his he has a collaborator uh, you know let's go do some videos and you know they're up all night doing more videos mm-hmm. okay so he, he bounces back yeah. um, but it's just it's just an interesting story of his this little niche yeah. and his life and uh, he actually he hangs out. He gets into this um, over time, but it really starts to bloom when he meets a group. He falls in with a group of fragheads. Mm-hmm. Got it? Fragrance. I head, got Fragheads. Yeah. Um, who call themselves the good smellers.
1: Mm. Okay. Mm. And uh, burying the lead with that one. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's, yeah.
0: So anyway, and uh, you know, talks about uh, his various friends and how, the, despite everything, you know. This love of fragrance uh, and this community kind of brings them together. It's a it's yeah, a well, small listen, community. It's, it's, it sounds um, like he was he was a small guy. It. He wasn't uh, he wasn't like a super cosmetic elegant guy. Yeah. He was like five foot six. Yeah. Um, sounds like but little, little... It, it is fun to read an article like this. And we've said this before: where you step into another person's world, well, the other and thing it's is... a world you know nothing about. Yeah. Um, nothing, and thing... yet it, it's. It's got millions but of followers. The real thing works. is, though,
1: he's doing it because he loves it. He obviously didn't make a lot of money doing it. No. But, and he but, did get he, laid
0: off from the shoe job because of the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, but he had this so other interest was Sustainable. Right. Yeah. 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 As I said, it was a very large article in the Times. It was uh, the lead in that above section. Above the fold. Well, it's a style the section Thursday on Thursday. Section. Let me yeah. tell you something. Style section has its own standards. So uh, above the fold. No, no, no. The it's, a, it's a style section doesn't mean too much. It's a story yeah.
0: uh, of this man's life and uh, sad that he... Um, you know, they're not sure exactly what happened. Uh, perhaps he had a heart attack, but mm-hmm. he just, uh, one night he just did not answer the phone. Well, this
1: is another interesting story about a fellow who passed away named Greg Felton Paul. And he, he is pictured here in the obituary, at the age of 66, holding uh, two big bottles of Khalifa products. And one of them being Khalifa cold brew, which I religiously uh, drank. Uh, cold brew coffee. And it turns out he is the founder and uh, driving force behind Khalifa, which is kind of a big deal. And his story is quite interesting. Uh, he went to Stanford. Uh, he graduated in 77. He was interested in environmental science. Uh, he was interested in jazz. He played in a jazz group. And in order to finance things, they used to sell juices. Uh, and uh, they would make juices out of fruits or whatever and, and sell them. Uh, and that the business actually developed into Odwalla Do you remember Odwalla I just, do. Yeah. So that was a huge brand. And they were aided by the fact that Bill Clinton used to drink Odwalla and used to see it all over the places. But what I didn't know about Odwalla which was natural juice drinks, is that they had a big uh, issue that put them effectively out of business ultimately. And that is there was an E. coli outbreak with respect to Odwalla uh, some years ago, and somebody died, a young, uh, an infant died, and a lot of people got sick. And it was well. It's
0: c- interesting why it happened.
1: Yeah, because he was devoted to
0: pure natural processes, right. which meant okay. they didn't pasteurize things. He did not heat things up. He thought that would uh, diminish the uh, diminish the uh, nutritional value of it. Something to that. Freeze. Right. It would reduce uh, the temperature, which apparently didn't remove. Right. All the, there also
1: was a thought that they had some bad product uh, that they weren't. Well, they had about.
0: some bad uh, raw materials. They yeah. were They're, purchasing less than you know um, perfect product. Yeah, the fruit was and blemished that would and have problematic required different kinds of pasteurization to um, override. Right.
1: Yeah. So what happens is he has this uh, devastating uh, event and he takes it quite hard. It's not as if he tried to walk away from it. I mean, it's devastating to the business. Uh, He tries to make up for it as best he can. He ultimately just sells the company to Coca-Cola who predictably just drives it into the ground. But he's kind of nowhere. He happens to be friends with Steve Jobs of Apple and uh, his son, Greg's son, so a Steve encouraged him to think outside the box and look for an opportunity to use innovation to learn from his experience. And sure enough, that opportunity came with the idea of plant-based beverages based on nuts and cold brew. And what we're talking about is almond milk. Right. He and, saw and the potential right.
0: in non-dairy milk, right. so to speak.
1: So he... Uh, and Khalifa, this will interest you, he named the new company for Queen Khalifa, a character in a 16th century Spanish novel who became the spirit of colonial California.
0: May I just say, I think it's actually Khalifia.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, just you're right. Okay, you have anything more on Queen Khalifia? No, no. <laughs> you're right. Uh, so it's a, it's a uh, fascinating story, uh, and that became a huge success. And I will tell you, it turns out, by the way, his cold brew is the largest-selling cold brew in the country. Right. And yet, very few supermarkets out here in the East sell it, even though they could carry all the other Califia Califia products. They don't carry that. But I do find one or two places... Well, it's funny. You got
0: interested in cold brew. Yeah. And uh, for some reason tried this. We saw it once. And it's great. And it's great. Yeah. But it's also... I mean, it is... uh, he he died because of complications because of uh, he, he liver transplanted transplant. liver yeah.
1: yeah he had liver problems um, but you so. know but cold brew for those who haven't tried it the, the benefit of cold brew is it uh, it's like strong coffee that's cold uh, it's concentrated but it delivers the caffeine in a more even way so whereas if you drink a cup of coffee uh, you might get a caffeine hit well you certainly will strong enough coffee and then you get a little bit of a drop maybe even a big drop. And cold brew uh, reputedly actually delivers the caffeine more smoothly over time, uh, and uh, I like it.
0: Time release caffeine. Cab,
1: time release caffeine. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe
0: all this. It's like uh, coffee
1: with butter in it. Malarkey, but um, I'm glad me. you like it. I'm on my game. You see yeah. that? I had some cold brew just a little bit ago. Really? And I really? make some. By, by the way, there's there I make some myself too. There's home brewed cold brew.
0: Yes, you do have your little jug. Yeah, so yeah. I'm
1: totally into cold brew.
0: Okay, good to know.
1: Yeah. All right. So we're almost, uh, you had something about uh, the no, art market just, taking a couple. Uh,
0: it's a little bit confusing. The art market shrank yeah. 22% in the pandemic year, study says. So, yeah, that's true. Um, the uh, Art Basel and UBS Art Market Report, a 359-page report, says that uh, combined dealer and auction house sales totaled 50 billion Mm -hmm. their lowest level since the financial crisis of 2009 okay dealer sales sales declined to 29 billion all right um public auctions uh well, we're down 30% to yeah. 17.6 billion but private transactions at auction houses were up 36%. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of shopping going on. Um so in many aspects the art market is kind of thriving. Uh And there's a new willingness in established clients to buy high value works that they have not seen in person. So I guess all I'm really saying is that, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a um, confusing what's going on yeah it's the totally it's confusing. not clear it's not it, well the
1: Times also had an article about the prices being driven up in some m- yes. more from
0: uh, the buying side yeah. there were a lot of people with a lot of time and cash yeah. and there weren't that many outlets for their spending right okay number of billionaires rose 7% in 2020
1: yeah so you have uh, there was a different article in the Times that was talked about new high prices for certain kind of cars arts and antiques famous yeah. coffee tables collectibles and, right yeah and then you have the online art, which is a whole different subject. And
0: then there's the NFT, which is non fungible tokens. Okay, which is the whole digital digital art craze. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um, and uh, you know, yeah,
1: it's hard to really fathom. I mean, and and, and we'll see uh, going forward. But clearly, it's a jumbled market uh and it's, it's prob- getting very confusing and it's probably different uh there are some things that do very well in uh, in-person auction situations and maybe that's the highest end stuff maybe yeah. it's one thing to buy a you know a, a fancy coffee table well the one they had was a hundred thousand dollars or more but uh, you probably might go for ten thousand dollars on something more easily without seeing it than buying a painting for 22 million so you have different markets and different layers right. but and was-
0: you know i've never been particularly interested in the okay. art
1: market. Right. So I'm well, interested in the art. Good. Well, we won't start now. So, well, there is that joke that Fran Leibwitz says that she went to an auction and they bring out a painting, and I forget whose painting it was, and, um, uh, or whatever it was. And uh, people, applaud, uh, well, they're very quiet when they bring out the painting. And then they go through the auction. And then it sells for eighteen million dollars. And as soon as the printing is done, it's eighteen million dollars. they announced. Everybody bursts into applause. And she says, "I don't understand. Why don't you applaud when you bring out the painting? The painting is what you should be applauding, not the, not 18, the fact no. that it went for eighteen million dollars." But which is sounds like Fran, but uh, there's some truth in that. All right. So the last story is a, a story that probably has gotten some play in some ways more than it needs, but I think I look at it a little differently. And uh, strangely, the headline is, What's the Late Fee on a Book Checked Out in 1957? And the reason I say it's interesting is the rest of the article doesn't really address the headline. What happens is uh, this woman who was in Queens, who was a young girl in 1957, checks out a book, uh, and which seems unlikely for her. her parents were from Czechoslovakia. Uh, they don't speak English particularly well. They spoke in Hungarian. Mostly she spoke to her parents in Yiddish. And yet she took out a book called Old Paul, uh, The Mighty Logger. So I don't know. Uh, she was interested in it. She was a young kid. Uh, this is how she's... Uh, that's fine. She's, she's assimilating. She's, she's reading something. It's like a B- Paul Bunyan story. Okay. Okay. And, uh, it's from the Queen's Library. And the story is she never returns it. Uh, and she has an affinity for this book. She has a very nice life. She ends up uh, being educated quite well, uh, gets a PhD in English literature. She, te- she lives in Madison, Wisconsin. She teaches in a school out there, and she always felt a little guilty that she never returned the book.
0: Right, but it, I can totally understand that. Right. It's like when you're a young kid, and, oh, it's really overdue. Right. You know, you, you can't you're can't afraid. Face you can't face okay. it. Okay, but then it keeps, uh, you know, she has... You know, as many people do, a tremendous respect for books. You don't throw books away, right? So she just, but she also she has to keep, and it doesn't belong to her, and she feels guilty about it. So what she does is she has to keep hanging on to it.
1: So she eventually owns up to the fact that she has the book. She contacts from Wisconsin the Queens Library and says, "Like, I've got the book. Sorry about this, but I'd like to come clean and make a contribution of five hundred dollars," which she does, and yet. Let's go back to the headline of the article. What's the late fee on a book checked out in 1957? Well, the Times doesn't know, but we figured it out. And You the, figured it out? Yes. I figured it out. I did indeed. Do you know what their policy is? No, I have a range, though. Okay? So if you had a straight... Let's say... And I'll, I'll, I'll cover some other because things.
0: Because no library in the universe actually charges you. Ah, uh-uh.
1: Now, you're wrong about that. Because That's, they yeah. asked the Queen's Library, and they said, you know something... Um, we still have the regular charges, but we're thinking about getting rid of it. But we still have it. So let's, let's no, no, just, no.
0: But they wouldn't if you came in with a book that's uh, ten years overdue. They they're not
1: charging you for well, ten years. Maybe, no maybe. one ever has. No. Let's answer the question. You know,
0: every time I return a book, uh, you know, even if it's like you know, it 10, ends up being 10, 10, three dollars, it will take a dollar.
1: the question is what's the late fee, and I'm going to yeah, tell you no, what only it is. Athlete. All right, oh. if it's a nickel a day, okay, just so you know. This would be $1,116, all right? Now, you might say to yourself, a nickel might be a lot in 1957. So let's say it was two and a half cents a day, or two cents a day. Let's say it's two cents a day, but you compounded the interest, okay? $15,500, okay? This woman writes him a check for $500, all right? Now, the Queen's Library, if they had sense of humor or something, could have written back, say, thank you for your check for $500. But as it happens, the late fee is $1,166. We would appreciate you remitting the remainder, which is, uh, you know, $666. Something sad like that. The thing
0: is, you know what they're going to do with the
1: book? What? Probably throw it away. Well, they probably will. They probably, yes, it probably wouldn't have been thrown away in the course of the year. So in any event, uh, this woman is getting away with I something. All
0: I can say is, you know... Uh Sister Jean should pray for your soul.
1: <laughs> really? Yes. She's busy. They already, they've already credited the victory. Sister Jean said a prayer before the game. I have, If you're a basketball fan, you watch the game, I know why they won the game. I don't think it's because Sister Jean prayed for them. Okay? I think there are other things going on on the Good court. Good to know. Okay. I'm sorry. Right. We'll see how long, how far she takes. All right. Are there any other games today? Of course. There are games all the time. There are games right. until the evening. And maybe we should get on it. All right. We'll watch them. We'll report on them. Uh, it's a lot of fun. The tournament's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's not diminished at all, in terms of television watching at least, by the fact that we're doing it during a pandemic and there are very few fans. And Sister, the fact that Sister Jean is there tells you that uh, they're letting some people in.
0: All right. This is Tamsin Granger and Dan Ampuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. We'll be back
1: next week when we'll have more developments at the NCAA.